Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents. We're coming to you live from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. My name is Matt Logman, and here at St. Joseph Radio, we don't have gold or silver, but what we do have, we give to you freely, and that is the truth and gospel of Jesus Christ. In studio today, we have Father Augustine and Stephen McCain, who is a professor at Lindenwood, and we are going to talk about something that it's not talked about enough, and that is the Desert Fathers. Yeah, well, we talked about it once already, but it's still not talked enough. But we were talking, we we were about to start talking about something, and I said, wait, no, stop. <laughs> this should be on the show. You were talking about how it's impossible to categorize them or something? I can't you can't even, systematically I can't. teach it. It's it, You have to just do line by line. Well, yeah, and then I said, no, you can, because I just wrote a book on this uh, called, uh, well, actually, it's coming out, I think, in the fall. Um, my editor's still working on it, but it's called Think, Pray, no, Pray, Think, Act, Better Decisions with the Desert Fathers. And, and uh, I've decided to, to try to systematize them as far as making, helping kids to make decisions. By the way, I'm not going to be very coherent today because I have a sinus infection, uh, so whoever uses this mic after me should probably spray some disinfectant on it or something. But uh, I'm, also not, I'm also not going to be very uh, uh, coherent. Coherent. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like I'm inside of a cloud and sort of speaking out of that, which is which is apropos, I suppose. Except the cloud of unknowing was a couple about a thousand years later, wasn't it? Oh well. Anyway, but yeah, I Paphnutius, uh, Abba Paphnutius is is one of the originals, and if I can find my book in my computer here, I could tell you how I decided to organize all the, the Desert Father quotes around his. Neat. Who uh, tell us about Abba Paphnutius while I try to get my mind straight here? Oh, I just <laughs> I, I have a book with his name in it, and I read a little bit about it, but uh, you know he's he's setting up a camp in sort of southern Egypt at the time, right? Uh, yeah. Along the Skeen? Nile. Was it Skeet or was that uh, not him? I think so. Okay. Um, and and they're sort of, this is like the second generation from Anthony of the Desert. Right. And they're starting to, to, to actually form a way of life. Yeah. And Anthony and Paul, who Anthony also needed someone, and there was a, 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 a desert father of Paul who might be the original, um, they've kind of set a pattern, and now, and now they're starting to gather. Yeah. They, well, yeah, you're right. So, so actually, Papadopoulos would be a good guy to start with if you're going to system. I guess Cashin would be a good guy to start with, wouldn't he? Or, or wait, who comes first, Cashin or Papadopoulos? I think Papadopoulos does. Okay, so he so might. Be I the think Cashin is like with. the third generation, and he ends up going, ends up in France, and. Is really one of the only desert fathers that very much influences the West. 
um, because a lot of the of the writings stay in the Orthodox Church. Well, he's got a Western name, so I guess. I've always thought, uh, it, well, the, I, I, one of the reasons I'm recruiting so hard for St. Louis Abbey is because I really think we need a novice named Paphnutius. <laughs> I just really, I, 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 wasn't, I, didn't, I never had the courage to, to take that name myself, but uh, uh, Brother Paphnutius, I just feel like the world needs one. So, but he said, let me see here, I've got it now. Um, he said... I would have to say back in the AD. Um, ah, yeah, here it is. There are three ways to embrace a vocation, and there are all. And they, well, by the way, this comes from the sayings of the Desert Fathers, which is this wildly incoherent, loose assembly of uh, sayings of the Desert Fathers, which I don't even. Some people have tried to organize them by theme, but the biggest the uh, just recently, the Orthodox Press came out with a full, comprehensive collection, and it's five volumes and just tiny print. So, but uh, I've lost my train of thought already. My students love it when this happens because they, they, they go wild in the classroom. But anyway, okay, where was it? Oh, yeah, Paphnutius said, uh, there are three ways to embrace a vocation, and they are all essential to discernment no matter what sort of life you choose. The first comes from God, the second from man, and the third from necessity. So there are three ways to make a decision. You can either be inspired by God, inspired by a man, or just you have no other choice. <laughs> In the first case, he says, God speaks directly to the human heart. In the second case, the advice and virtues of some mortal stirs the heart. So you say, oh, I want to be just like him. The third way is imposed upon you. For you have made the wrong decision and are therefore put to the test. You turn toward God by necessity. I love that because people say, like, how do I know I'm supposed to be a monk? And you, there, there's, you know, and I always say, well, you show up, and if we kick you out, you're not called to be a monk, right? That, that, I mean, so, and, what, and they say, well, what's a good reason to be a monk? I, it doesn't matter. There, I liked I like the habit. I, I was I, I wanted to become a monk because I wanted to walk around dressed like a monk, and that's a terrible reason. But it's as good as any other, as far as I can tell. <laughs> it's honest. I, yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I guess it would be nice to come in with some sort of more noble aspiration, like union with Christ. <laughs> but I find that the novices who come in with the most noble not aspirations aren't necessarily the ones with vocations. You know, God can call you to his service any way he wants. And sometimes it's through the beauty of the liturgy. And sometimes it's because you have nowhere else to go. And uh, my, my, I remember one of my roommates called me up and he said, there's this rumor going around. My roommate from college, I lived with eight rugby players. So I did not have a very monastic college existence, except for the beer. We drank a lot of beer and monks do drink beer. Uh, but <laughs> I'm a little ADHD, and then and this is not me, and this sinus infection is not helping. Uh, I totally lost track of where I was going. Oh, uh, oh yeah, called me on the phone and said that there was a rumor going around that I was in the witness protection program, and that's like, <laughs> and I can imagine that something like that. Well, actually, Abba Moses ended up in a monastery because he was running away from the law. Right, right. right. So I mean, if you can, I mean, that talk about a terrible reason oh, to join a monastery. 
And and according to the story, when he entered the monastery or when he showed up at the monastery, he threatened to kill the monks. And they were like, well, okay, the sooner we get to heaven. And he was like, well, wait a second, you guys aren't afraid of me? And they're like, oh, no, no. He's like, well, who do you work for? Because that guy must be really scary. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus. And he's like, all right, fine, I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that's a terrible, like, and he, and he still kept beating people up and robbing people. And they're like, no, nope, Moses, that's not how we no, do it. No, and they were like, running after him. And they knocked on the, the monastery's door. Is this this big black guy, is, yeah. he, is he here? And no. No, he's not. Well, actually, they didn't lie. They said, the abbot said to the crowd, the crowd who was looking for him, the mob, the, the lynch mob, if you want to put it really. And you may. Truly. Um, the lynch mob said, we're looking for this guy, big dark fella. Um, and the abbot said, oh, he's nearby. We just saw him. If you keep looking, we're pretty sure you'll catch up with him. So wow. he didn't lie. Wow. Yeah, they, they wouldn't lie to him, but they let them believe what they please. And. Meanwhile, Moses was standing behind the door <laughs> just to the abbot's right, you know, as he said this. Um, and then the crowd said, okay, thanks for the help, and rushed on to go find him. There's another story that um, that some bishops were looking for. Were lo- he, uh, this is long, long after he became abbot, that some bishops were looking for him. And they came across this really disgustingly dirty guy working out in the field, and they're like, Hey, we've come all this way. We're looking for Abba Moses. And he said, oh, that guy, he's worthless. Don't even bother. Turn around and come back, where, go back where he came from. And so that when they got to the monastery, they were like, uh, there's some really rude worker in your field. Like he, he, and he totally disrespected your abbot. And they said, what did he look like? He's like, well, big fella, dark complexion, dirty. They're like, you just met our abbot. <laughs> 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 so... <laughs> Sounds like the perfect example that the Lord doesn't and always call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. That's, ooh, ooh, that's nice. There's a saying of Abba, wait, I forget, Stephen, what's your name? Mama, who, me? Yeah. <laughs> My name's Matt. I was close. Stephen, Matt, you know, whatever, Abba Matt of St. Louis, a saying of Abba Matt of St. Louis. See, we're already, we, I'm actually starting this collection of what I call the sayings of the urban fathers, which are stories that, like that modern monks tell each other. If I can find, let me see if I can find. Wow, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, well, because monks do this. We, we, the, the way we don't give spiritual direction, Jesuits direct you. We accompany people. We, we don't give advice, and we rarely give direct advice. Instead, what happens is you tell a story and let the person figure it out on their own. Um, so I'm trying to see if I can find. Oh, yeah, well, so here are some of the my... New stories of the urban fathers. The, these are stories that modern monks I heard telling one another. Um, an elder said, uh, The man born blind was obnoxious, ignorant, and ungrateful, but he had one virtue which was enough to save him. He stuck to the facts. Because <laughs> if you think back to the story, by the way, of the man born blind, he's like, Every time they question him, he's like, I don't know. I born blind now I see you know, like and he never he never actually makes any declaration of faith he right. just he just and in fact even when Jesus he doesn't even thank Jesus Jesus finds him and says do you know who the son of man is and he says well who's that <laughs> you know um but uh let's see what is it uh another elder said 
Grumbling is when you discuss a problem neither of you can fix. Um, an elder said, of course sinning is fun. If sins were boring, we'd all be saints. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Wow, that's good. Oh, oh, here's a story of the Urban Fathers. These are, these are okay, so this is not of any official sort of thing. These are just stories, and some of them may even be fallacious. I don't know. Uh, but, well, actually, this one I know to be true because I, I looked it up. But a monk of a certain abbey died on a Saturday and could not be buried until Monday morning. Not knowing where to keep the body, the abbot instructed the novices to place the deceased on the bed of another monk who was away that weekend. The novices returned for the body on Monday, but when they opened the door, the body on the bed sat up and started talking. Having recovered from their shock, the novices realized that the traveler had returned and had climbed into his own bed. But where is our deceased brother, they cried. Calmly, the old monk slid the body out from under the bed. And you slept the whole night with him under there, they asked, dumbfounded. It would have been difficult to sleep with him in there, he answered. <laughs> Truth. Exactly what to learn from these stories uh, is up to you, you know. Oh, an elder said, efficiency is charity. There's Sounds like one. Confucius in a way. I mean, is this kind of like Eastern influenced? Uh, uh, yeah, I would think it is. I mean, it comes from Egypt, but probably China had very, or Japan had very little to do with, I don't know. Did well, you, Now, if anyone here knows the influence Let's of China. Let's go to the okay. professor. Kongsu, that's a Confucius in Chinese. Kongsu. Kongsu looked back uh, to two periods in time. The, okay. He looked back 1,400 years to the three sage kings. Now, this is, gets really interesting because, <laughs> because there's two books that are mentioned in the Old Testament, the Book of Jasher and the Book of Jubilees, that talk about the three sons of Noah. Oh. So where did Shem go? So Shem was the worshiper. Japheth was the businessman. Okay? Okay, okay. It, I'm know, with you. I love so this. So Shem is the worshiper, and he's picking up from his grandfather, who was a grandson of Enoch, the way of Enoch. Okay. So when you look at the Book of Jubilees, you find that India and China are populated by the blood of Shem. So is Iran. Really? So you have the wisdom of the East here. Oh, so, so you're now, saying... So now what, let's look at when the flood happened. Some people say it was 2356 B.C. So if you, if you count from Adam, Anno Monday, year of the world... You get 1656 is, is the flood. And then when you reverse it and overlap it to our time, that's 2356. So now you have these sage kings that are coming on. And there's two different sets of Chinese ways of looking at it. But 19, huh. 1953 B.C. is a very ominous date. Because the five planets that are very visible come together into like one fist in the sky. And, and everyone ab uh, across the globe notices that. Everybody. And, and so, you can, so it's a common point of reference for... Th th there is no mention of any planet in the entire Bible. Huh. Which is an amazing concept. So God doesn't want us to get into astrology, whatever. Right. But the planets are signs. We have it coming again in 2040. It happens really? every 
uh, 500 to 1,500 years. No way. Am I going to be and, alive? And, and there's always corruption before it Ooh. and then purity after it. Let's get into that one here in a bit. Okay, I'll need to remind is... people that you are listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents. We are coming to you live from the Rome of the West in studio with Matt Logman. Today is Stephen McCain, professor at Lindenwood, and Father Augustine, as we are talking about the Desert Fathers. Well, we were talking about the Desert Fathers. Now we're so, talking about so, Chinese influence so on Shem, the Desert I'm Fathers. So I'm going to tie yeah. east to west. Okay, yeah, though, this is cool. Rudolf Kipling said that neither meet, but here, this is where they yeah. meet. So you have these Kongsuds, Confucius is looking back to these three sage kings. Where did they get their sagacity? Because they're so humble in nature. Yeah. And what were they dealing with? They were dealing with water. So they were on the Huanghe, which is the Yellow River, and it was constantly overflowing. And there was just too much water on the earth, 2000 BC, during the time of Abraham. And, um, and this is the time of Abraham. And, and so here you have China forming a way of thinking. So Confucius basically, what he does is he takes that and then he, he goes uh, roughly four or 500 years before him to the beginning of the Zhou Dynasty and you have three, three individuals who emulated the Sage Kings. And also during that time, you have a five planet coming together. Hmm. So th this, is a, a, uh, this is where the mandate of heaven comes in. The Tianming. Um, okay, wait, and, and, we're not talking about the scriptures now. We're talking about what is the mandate of heaven? The mandate of heaven is a concept that very much comes from the sage kings. From where, if, from the if east, a ruler though. does not rule right, oh, okay, he will be taken out by God. Oh, and uh, it's just. But this is not something that's familiar in the West. This is no, just from China. this thinking is sort of rare, and it takes a long okay. time to figure this okay. stuff out. But this, but Confucius basically said you need to love your neighbor. You know, what I mean, this is in his quotes and stuff. Yeah, and he's pulling all this from these sagacious three individuals. And where did they get their knowledge? And it, my inclination okay. uh, would okay. be that it would be from Shem, because Shem populated this area. Huh. <laughs> How and, cool is that? And he's the worshiping son. Okay, so what you're saying is the Desert Fathers, the early Christian fathers, may indeed... Now, religious sort of books aside, or, or I don't know, uh, what is it, provident, pro, God's providence aside for a second, is there any way to show a direct sort of literary influence on the Desert Fathers from the, from the East? Like, can you You, you, you can see some? Buddhism, which starts like 400 years sure. before Christ, is... Is uh, it's gone to Gandahar in Afghanistan at this point? Okay. okay. Uh, you see the Buddhists that don't make any images, so you have the Greek influence uh, mm. to the east where they start to make statues of the Buddha. Um, so here you have the, uh, Afghanistan is a very prominent place where east and yeah. west were, were meeting, and also Persia. Yeah. Well, there's certainly, I mean, there's plenty of evidence in the Psalms of, you know, Egyptian, uh, Egyptian and Near Eastern uh, influence. In fact, some of, like, there are hymn, whole hymns to Baal, uh, the thunder god, that are just taken hook, line, and sink, sinker, and they just replace Baal with Yahweh. <laughs> and, and that's, so, I guess maybe through Egypt and Assyria and 
Afghanistan, you could, you might perceive some influence of Buddhism and and. I I, 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 I think you do. Cool. Um, That's I, what Saint Justin Martyr called the logos spermaticos, right? The the seed of the word is present in in all wisdom. Like you can look well, and and then uh, also another individual who took from these sagacious individuals was Lao Tzu. Yeah. So Taoism, you know, he talks about the Trinity. In is the, Lao Tzu is that the is Lao, that, that's Taoism? Th- right? That Taoism. Yeah, okay. So he writes nine sets of writings, each on a particular uh, virtue. Right. Um. And uh, and in that he talks about the Trinity, for example. Does he? Yeah, and this is this is deep in the the Tao Te Ching. Huh. I mean, it's just it's incredible the correlations. I I've read the Tao Te Ching. It was back when I was in my pagan phase. I, I really was into Taoism, and and the funny thing was that once I sort of Christian, re-Christianized myself that I began to realize all this stuff is just talking about the Holy Spirit, if you, if you know, if you have the proper lens to interpret it. I think, I mean, note should be made, I think, here that, that one has to have a certain security in one's Christian faith before you oh, gosh, are yes. equipped yes. To, to leave this stuff, because yes. there's plenty of, of untruth mixed in. Um, that we have a tendency, I think, as Christians who grow up Christian uh, that to think that the, the Near Eastern, the exotic, the different is somehow wiser or more beautiful than what we've got. But if you can if you can go outside in order to see more clearly back into your Christian faith, yeah, I think this can be really useful any and beautiful. And and I, I'm I'm not surprised to learn that the Desert Fathers took a lot of their influence from the East. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. I've often thought that God really should have chosen the Egyptians to, to incarnate his son. Like, well, why, why the Israelites? Like, the Egyptians are so much like... Because they, they so were the people. chosen people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, this God, I just don't understand him. But then again, what, who is it that... Uh, how, maybe it's C.S. Lewis or maybe it's me. Somebody said, as soon as you can fit God into your head, you know you're not thinking about him. Right. You know, it's an or interesting thought. Her- oh no, heresy is caged light. The 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 area where Israel is today, in the Book of Jubilees, each each son and son of a son gets a different property, and this was mm. a Shemite area, and it was taken over by the Canaanites and the seven tribes. Okay. So here, God was trying to rectify that dividing of the land when he chose Israel. That's one of the components oh. of it. Um, oh, and, and hence, um, hence they came in to take back their land. And, and all those laws of the Jubilee, for example, where you right. have, after 50, 49 you years- free you, all your slaves, you gotta you just, pay, relieve all your debts. Your, your family you owns your property forever. Hmm. See, I've often wondered about this Jubilee year. Like the year before would be a great day to get a loan. You're right. Like, the year before, I bet like nobody took out it, gave it, lent out any money for about five years before the Jubilee. But they, they it was pro, <laughs> prorated. They, they, in other words, your your value of your land was the, the most one day after, one year after the Jubilee. Oh, because, yeah. Because because you could you could lend it out for fifty years. See. Oh. 
You know, it really sounds like you're when you're talking about all these anyway. ancient people that have bits of wisdom. It yeah. kind of reminds me of that the conqueror of uh, this world now, uh, Satan, yeah. he gives a bit of truth for the greater lie. So when this wisdom comes across as truth, people get sucked into it because truth is truth, and people right. are drawn to it. But if it's not complete truth, that's where the enemy wins his battles. Yeah, at the same time, though, that's the, that little bit of truth in the lie may be a way to get your foot in the door to convert somebody. Right. You know, I mean, I'm thinking... I mean, it's we lately the whole abortion thing has been in the news, and what, and that's a huge lie, right? I mean that that somehow you have a right to murder a child, but at the same time, I think most of the people, I could be wrong, and I'm guessing at their motives, but I think most people who call themselves pro-choice are taken in by the truth part of the lie that women need to be taken care of, especially pregnant women need to be, need to be looked out for. And, and that's, and that truth part of the lie is a foot in the door to say, yes, you know, we, we agree with that, you know? So it's not, it, it's, there, there are two ways to look at it. You don't want to be taken in by a lie because you can see some truth in it. But at the same time, you can you, conversions can come by capitalizing on the truth that they believe. You know, I've I've rarely met a person. I, mean, I I I have this odd tendency to seek out people I disagree with and then become friends with them. As as ended up happening with my podcast with Umar Ali, the social activist. Um, but but I I find that in these discussions, I I rarely encounter anyone, even the most vocal opponent of what I believe to be the most fundamental truths, I rarely come across anyone who I think is a really sort of truly corrupted person, a really evil person. Um, that, that most of them really truly believe, in fact, I don't know, well, I've met, I think, three people in my life, I can name them, I won't, <laughs> who I thought were just wanted what was evil. But most people, I think, genuinely are trying to do the right thing. I think it was, wasn't it uh, Thomas Merton, who's another great fan of the wisdom of the East, who said, America is a country full of people who desperately want to do what's right and have no idea how to do it, or something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah. Sounds like Thomas Merton. <laughs> <laughs> That's where that uh, wisdom that we count on, a gift of the Holy Spirit, you know, what you were talking about, uh, as far as life, you know, if, if they found one single cell on Mars, one single cell, the headlines would be life. plastered. Life found on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> but yet you have a child in a mother's womb, and it's not considered life? Yeah. Wow. If you'd like to take a copy of this program, give us a call after the program, 447-6000. Looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith? Colby Academy has the solution, offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible, and affordable. Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional homeschool courses for 
maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. Or give them a call. Area code 707 707- 255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the pro-life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Back live from the Rome bow, of the bow, West, bow, and bow, this bow. is St. Charles, Missouri. <laughs> Super hip music, too. That's right. Boom, 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 that boom, is boom. the beep. Uh, what do they call that? The beat. Uh, what do they do? That beat. Beatbox. Beat yeah. Of Father <laughs> that Augustine. Been around since uh, I was in high school. I think. Yeah. My name's Matt Logman, and across from Father Augustine, we have Stephen McCain, professor at Lindenwood. We are talking about the Desert Fathers, and during the break. Stephen McCain brought up a great point that we're going to let him start Oh, oh but first, station identification or monk identification. My abbot only allows me to do this because I can make a pitch for vocations. Please do. Right. Please do. So if there's anybody out there between the ages of 18 and 35 who's sane, and you know what? You don't even have to be sane. If you're single, we'll take you. <laughs> well, we're not very picky. Actually, we're incredible. Well, never mind. Go ahead, Stephen. <laughs> well, you know, I, on the way over here, I don't know whether it was moved by the Holy Spirit or not, but I was thinking about the baby formula issue. Ah, uh, yeah. And then I thought, whoa, this could be a metaphor from God that says, stop drinking baby formula and get into the Desert Fathers. Get mm. into something that shocks you. I think it's like shock, yeah. shock therapy. You, you start to read the Desert Fathers, you go, I never heard a homily say this. Ooh. I no one told yeah, me they're this. They're harsh. They can be really Whoa. harsh. And and so can Christianity exist without an ascetical nature? Well, no, no. I mean, this Jesus himself says there are some demons you just can't remove without fasting and prayer, right? Is it fasting? Yeah, yeah fasting, fasting and prayer. Yeah. So you hear so many problems today where, oh, my son or my granddaughter or my whatever, and they and I pray a lot and nothing happens. And, you know, that, that famous quote from Jesus, you know, we got to take it by violence. Yeah. And the ascetical <laughs> aspect is that violence. In other words, I'm going to fast for X amount of time, and I want this done. Well, I have a quote here from the Urban Fathers. This is a quote from an old one of our monastery in my new book. A distraught parent came to one of the elders and said, Father, my my son comes to church unwillingly and makes a great scene every Sunday before we leave. Is it worth the trouble? After all, you you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. 
It is true what you say, answered the old man, but of this too you may be certain. If you don't lead the horse to the water, you can be sure it will never drink. Like, there's there's a part, you know, you people say, well, he doesn't want to come to church and he's bored, so I just let him stay at home. No, sometimes you just got to force the kid to go to mass, you know, whether he wants to or not. You know, my parents, I remember when I decided to stop going to mass, my mother said, that's fine, but we pay your rent. Uh, you're going to, if you're not going to come to church, this is your rent that you pay is going to church on Sunday. And if you decide to quit paying rent, then you can go find another place to live. Wow. And yeah, it actually, uh, even, even at that age, I was a little angry, but I understood the logic of it. I mean, they, they were paying for everything. So, so long as I was in their house, I was going to go to church. And, you know, my sister, who is really the saint in the family. Uh, she, she, I get all the press, but she's, she, she works now. Well, she went through a very, very wild stage. And I asked her once, she never quit going to church on Sunday. And I asked her once why, you know, she, she said, yeah, I knew I was going to hell. I knew it. But I went to church on Sunday anyway. And I was like, why? <laughs> why bother at that point? And she said, because that's what we do. Because that's simply, you know, that's that's what mom and dad expected. And, uh, you know, I, I can't give any other explanation, but that's that's just, I'm a Catholic. And even a Catholic who's going to hell still has to go to Mass on Sunday. <laughs> and I think it's what saved her in the end. I, and, and to just to put a happy ending on the story, I mean, she went, she joined the Army, shaped up her life. Now she works with in a she's an, a geriatric nurse working with dying nuns. Like you want to wow. talk about yeah, and you want to talk about a, a saintly woman that is service. Yeah, yeah. so so it um, the violence. I I wouldn't say my parents violently dragged me to mass, but it certainly wasn't because I wanted to go. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just got to lay down the law. And as my kids say, like, if when you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Beating up people and kicking over tables isn't off the list. <laughs> so, anyway, well, you're, but, you're, 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 but to go back to your original thing about the baby formula, sorry, you were saying. Well, that, that uh, you know, nothing against any priest's homily or whatever. They, they have to. They have to talk to a set of all people, but yeah. but um, the ascetical life, yeah. you know. I mean, the Didache talks about Wednesdays and Fridays are fasting days, and oh, but no, I'm over sixty five, and I wait, stop. Yeah, you know, quit yeah. quit all the the little uh, fine print and start. Yeah, and start approaching the gluttony of the stomach, which is, I think. The center, yeah. the center of true religious life, is watching your stomach. And I'm not talking about losing mm. weight. I'm talking about prayer is yeah. cleaner and and purer. Yeah, yeah. On an empty it's stomach. True. Yeah. Well, and I also say uh, I tell the kids regularly. I preach this. I say you must go to mass every Sunday for the rest of your life. And there are only two exceptions to this. One, if you're sick. You don't want to get the other people sick. And two, if you're traveling, buy ox cart, right? Because, come on, let's say, yes, there's an exemption for travelers. But these days, with Google and uh, iPhones and stuff, you should be able to find a church. So I, a lot of, you know, we run a high school in my monastery called Priory. 
And uh, the ki- a lot of kids, you know, end up asking monks to be their confirmation sponsors. And I say, fine, but you got to get to Mass every Sunday or else I'm not sponsoring you. Don't, in fact, don't even get confirmed if you can't commit to that because it's, it's, it's not something you hear preached. But missing Mass on Sunday is a hell-worthy sin. You know, to, to do it and to know you're doing it and to know it's serious and to skip it anyway. And I think, frankly, us priests have a, are going to have a lot to answer for with this COVID thing, that we cowered inside our seminaries and monasteries and, and kept the Blessed Sacrament from the faithful. And I, But wasn't it out of obedience? It was. It was. So but, I don't think you'll end up taking the heat for that. It should be your superiors. Yeah, but, but you know, I, I was thinking, I was thinking about this. Like, did I write a letter to my to my bishop? Did I write a letter to my abbot saying, you know, you know what? I'd rather die. I'd rather die than go without the blessed sacrament. I mean, the fr- the fact is, in my monastery, we had the blessed sacrament every day. I, it wasn't forbidding me from anything. It's you, poor guys, who had to go without. Uh, and, and I think a real opportunity was lost there. Uh, uh, for heroism, you know, and I know priests who snuck out and said the said mass for people. We had a mass in the parking lot where we delivered the Eucharist to car windows and stuff, and that was great. But I don't know. I I, I someone's someone's going to have to answer for that. No, yeah, you're right. I firmly believe what you're saying is right. And I think I'm going to be. I I got to take a share of that one because I did not. You know the. I remember there were I remember there were riots. There were lots of riots, but it wasn't because they weren't people were being deprived of the Blessed Sacrament. There should have been riots outside of every Catholic church of Catholics begging for the Eucharist. Right. You can go um, into uh, different stores, not to name any of them, because they're wide open. You know. Yeah, but 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 the priests. They closed and, the church. Priests like me, we just said, "Oh well, you know, just stay home, watch on TV. We'll be okay. You're fine." You know, but we weren't fine. So you, we you feel you didn't make an effort. I don't think I was scandalized enough oh. by this. I don't think I, I don't think I realized the hunger that went unfed for the for that year and a half. Um, because I wasn't hungry. I was receiving the Eucharist every day and in between busily sterilizing countertops and doorknobs um, while the faithful were out there starving, you know. People not being uh, having funerals and whatnot. Yeah, not, not going all to kinds confession, of going not on. getting the Eucharist. Well, what about know. the wine now? I mean, you know, I, I wait for the day that I can take both the body and the blood. What, ah, what's amen. going on? Okay, here? you and I are going to disagree now. Uh oh. Okay, Uh-oh. now we're going to throw. Uh oh. Yeah. No, I don't care about the germs. I'm I, I'm not afraid <laughs> of death. But I, I, the you just you just spoke heresy, by the way. Oh, I did. Yeah, you. Well, said I know the body has the the, the, the blood the, in it. The, the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Every time you uh, see, this is the problem with. Okay, okay. I read uh, th- this is pure opinion. Okay, you got for the you, case Stephen. Of my, for the case of my, I love the wine. Well, sure you do, but it's not wine. It's well, the body, I know. blood, it's, it's soul. The blood. Yeah, but see, it's there's the no... life is in the blood. Okay, okay. <laughs> but see, here's the thing, that, and this is this is exactly where. Okay, this is my opinion, but it is based on solid Catholic doctrine. Okay. That uh, I discovered, by the way, the other day, that I am what they call a subuniate, someone who <laughs> thinks the Eucharist should be only under one species when it is given to the faithful, and the reason is not because of germs. I mean, personally. As the priest, I do not. I gag when I have to drink after three hundred people 
because I'm the one who has to clean up the vessels and drink all the leftovers. You're not right? afraid to die. Oh, though. wow. I never thought yeah. about that. That's well, so no, I'm not. I'm not afraid to die, but I'm still grossed out, you know, and that's not a way to treat the Eucharist. But number two, there's almost no way to talk about it without slipping into heresy. Wow. The blood, the cup, the chalice, the wine, the blood, the bread, the water, blood, you know, there's and. In the in the liturgical um, in the ge- general instruction of the Roman Missal, it says, "Yes, it is preferable to have it under both species, provided it does not create theological confusion, which it always does. Provided it is not le- it doesn't create a problem logistically, which it always does. Like some people, are, do you kneel? Do you genuflect?" As you pass, do you always receive it? Do you not receive some people? Bring back it? the kneelers. They're, spi- they're spilling the wine. Yeah, it's, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody spill a bit of the precious blood and body of Christ on the floor. Um, and then the, uh, oh, shoot, I, I've lost my third point. But well, anyway, while you're you get thinking about that, this. I'll, I'll tell Stephen that I was very blessed when my wife and I went on a retreat <laughs> in, let me see, what was it? Donna and Augustine were the Sisters of Mercy of the Home of the Mother where St. Clair was a part of. And we were down there for Holy Week and in the retreat. And during Mass, you know, they had a kneeler up there, which, you know, everybody went up and kneeled down to receive communion. But they also dipped the the body into the blood. And you have an altar boy with a paten. He dipped that, held it underneath it. It was done very reverently. And I felt very blessed. Here's here's, here's the last reason is... We do not have enough priests to distribute both the cup and the. And, hey, I'm in no hurry. And the, I don't care if I have to go through lines. So, twice. so People we have wait. to. You know what so I'm we have to rely on what we call extraordinary ministers, who have now become ordinary ministers because they're there every day. And these ordinary ministers, God bless them, they're pious Catholics and they're trying to help. Right. But they don't have the years and years of training that the priests do. Well, I, I know. I know a priest who I won't name because he's. A, a newly ordained priest who showed up in his parish and the tabernacle was always full. He couldn't figure out why the tabernacle was full. Well, it turned out the Eucharistic ministers were refilling it. Oh my. When it got low. Oh my. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So think about that. I mean, because they don't know they, I mean, they're not trained. Somebody like dropped that ball. Let me and, tell and, you. and it's supposed to be an extraordinary minister. As soon as an extraordinary minister becomes an ordinary minister, then you got a problem because the confusion arises. So we got logistical, theological, and uh, human error just running rampant because it's so important that we drink Jesus. Okay. But now that said, I, uh, I defer to the bishop's wisdom on everything. And if I said anything heretical, I hereby disclaim it and I apologize. There, I can have my cake and eat it too. Have my Jesus and no, all right, Stephen, rebuttal. Well, <laughs> like, like I, I, I uh, when I was teaching my daughter the Catholic way, because I'm a former Protestant. Yeah. Um, I would talk about what I call the bloodline. Oh. The bloodline is where yeah. the bl- the the wine yeah is no longer available, and every church has a different bloodline. So, like, when you go, I, I know when I go down to the Basilica, I know exactly. If, if I'm this far, oh, if I'm oh, this yeah, far back, yeah. I'm not going to get any wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I call that the bloodline. And, and you go, like, two pews above the bloodline, and you're guaranteed that wine. 
Okay. Um, and, Which is and, not and wine, by the way. Well, yes, the blood. <laughs> and, and, Which is not uh, blood. And, it's also body, blood, soul, and divinity. Amen. By the way. Amen. <laughs> and, and, and it's a sacrament. It's it's yeah, it a. Is. It is. You know, there's something about. Yeah. You know, the depths of the faith yeah. is the sacrament. Yeah. Uh, and and it's just. Uh, I think it's probably gone for good. The blood, receiving it under yes, both species. I, I, yeah. th- I think we uh, I think it is. Yeah, no one's going to receive from the cup any longer. But see, I, I personally am in favor of that. <laughs> uh, because, it, the, the, well, yeah, for, for all the reasons said before. But, okay, now I'm going to argue your, your, your position because I, we had this wonderful um, Jewish woman who taught French at our school who, because she was around so many Catholics, decided to get her bat mitzvah. Like, she suddenly started taking her own Jewish faith more seriously. And she did. And it was wonderful to see her grow in her faith. Because, after all, the Jews are, as say, uh, Pope Benedict XVI said, our fathers in the faith, and their covenant will not go unmet. Uh, but anyway, she came up to me after Mass once, and she said, you know, okay, I've been doing all this work with my bat mitzvah, and I'm learning Hebrew and stuff, and she's like, and, so, and I'm really trying to treat, keep kosher. And she said, but this one pro, I got this one problem. She's like, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, he was a terrible Jew. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Why do you think so? And she says, well, I mean, she says, again, I've been trying to keep kosher. And the one thing we do not do is consume blood. We, and Jesus not only tells his followers to drink blood, he tells them to drink human blood. His blood. And I'm like, well, yes. My blood is to drink. Right. And she's like, that, that is not kosher. And I'm like, well, why, why do you not consume blood? She's like, because blood belongs to God. Because blood is life. And if he's asking, and then she goes, oh. Right. <laughs> his, he thinks he's God. <laughs> so he's giving them his life. Amen. And, and, and. Yeah, she got it. <laughs> you know, uh, she didn't believe it, but she got it. And, and hopefully, and the folks sense, out there got it. Too. You know, the symbolism. I agree with the documents. I, mean, I agree with every infallible teaching of the Catholic Church that there is a deeper symbolism of drinking the life of God. Yep, I'll go with you on that one. This is Saint Joseph Radio presents coming to you live from the. So we're of the both West. right. <laughs> there you go. Everybody's right. Everybody gets a trophy. No, you don't get one today. <laughs> oh, well, all right. We, we have Father Augustine in, and we have Stephen McCain from Lindenwood. And I appreciate both of your time, gentlemen, as we open this up and talk about things that some people haven't really heard of. My first question: You both mentioned some of the homilies being like, you know, fire. Now, would they be canceled in today's culture? Well, yeah, we have a monk who is canceled. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes yeah. the truth is very hard to take, and there are some leaders of the church that would rather not subject their followers to such yeah. a harshness. Well, I mean, I do think you got to be careful. You have to be politic. You know, you, no, there should be no politics in the church. Man. Well, really politic should. in the sense of being, yeah, you're right. Okay, you, you don't have to be politic, but you do have to be. Empathetic. Truth, truth is the truth. Yeah, truth is good. the truth. But th- there are times when you there th- for everything there is a season and um, for every season. All right, yeah, I see yeah. what you did. <laughs> there, well, yeah, I mean that's Sirach, right? But it there, 
you know, the, it's truth in charity. And like I said, we had a monk who got canceled, but he said in his homily, he said, uh, you know, it used to be everything, was, it was women and children first, save the women and children. He's like, but ever since COVID, it's been to hell with the women and children, save the old, fit, old fat, rich, and lazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which I don't know. That may be true, may not, but it was definitely a little harsher than it needed to be. <laughs> now, did he deserve to get canceled for that? I don't know. But at the end, he's a young monk, you know, and full of fire and, you know, guts. But but still, uh, you know, there's a way to put things. And, uh, you know, particularly since we're hitting all the controversial subjects, particularly the, the whole gay thing, you know, the so-called LGBTQ uh, business that we've got to we've got to proclaim the truth, but you we also have to be charitable because these are people. I think we need to remind ourselves that these are people who got picked on, who get picked on a lot, and get beat up a lot, and have been beat up and picked on for a long time. And you can't just walk right in and say, "By the way, you're not what you think you are, and you people aren't married." And you, and now they aren't, but they a lot of these people aren't what they think they are, and they aren't married. But at the same time, we have to be gentle. Um, now maybe we've been a little too gentle, uh, if you ask me, because they, <laughs> well, because I think a lot of things have gone wrong in our society now. But at the same time, like we have to remember that charity above all is is the rule right we have to, we have to be we have but, to do unto others as we would have done to ourselves so how much do you think the removal of the bible back in the early 60s kind of brought all this problem onto us i don't think it was that i think it was uh contraception well that's that's the bible was taken out then that, you had contraception then you had roe v wade and we just spiraled yeah we spiraled into decay well i have this great friend named umar lee who's a fundamentalist, reactionary, social activist. And he said, um, and he says that the sexual revolution was the worst thing ever to happen to women. Of course, he's a fundamentalist Muslim. But, <laughs> but he said, you know, women used to be the bastions of, of, of virtue in our society. That was their power. I and mean, they had men, if they wanted to be with women, had to calm down and control themselves. Because Women held the keys, as it were. And then he says a sexual revolution hit, and they said, and women said, hey, great, we can be just as stupid and reckless as men are. And all the men looked around and said, great. <laughs> you know, terrific. Okay, fine. And who loses in that equation? Not the guys. I mean, we're not the we're, we. Guys aren't the ones who end up with the venereal diseases and the children and you know, society and all lost. The pressure. Yeah. That's what happened. Society lost. Men lost. I mean, we 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 had. Yeah. Anyway, I don't Not know. That, up, again, Stephen, we got to take the reins again, back. Again, this isn't. Uh, <laughs> Catholic doctrine. This is my my personal opinion, and I hope I'm not saying anything uncharitable or against Catholic teaching. But yeah, I think uh, I I don't know. I mean, I. Uh, yeah, now all of a sudden my head's going. I think you, you have a new direction. book to write now. Yeah, probably. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. what should we take from the Desert Fathers today, Stephen? What, what, give a give us a, a nugget of wisdom that they talked about. Well, uh, Paul talks about meat, 
You know, Paul was frust ah. frustrated with the milk issue. And he was he really wanted people to I don't want to talk about levels like at his level, but he really <laughs> wanted to have companions who had the zeal. I think uh, you know, in the the Church of Laodicea, there's eye salve and there's zeal as mm. remedies to the age. And I think we are very much Laodicea and very lukewarm age. So the zeal, you get the zeal, the eye salve is that the noose. The noose is an interesting concept. The noose is uh, the eye of the soul. So we get the word noetic from it. And neptic, which is okay. the watchfulness. In other words, what is watching? It's the noose. So this, you know, we have to protect that noose. What are we, what are we seeing? And as we, to feed the noose, we must feed it with the people before us in a time that uh, wasn't Laodicean, a time that wasn't lukewarm, a time that was hot. Sorry, by the way, noose, not meaning noose as in something you tie around a neck, but noose as in like uh, no, the mind, N-O-U-S. N-O-U-S. Uh, okay, N -O -U -S. good. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Um, For our listeners. <laughs> so so uh, there's different characteristics of the heart, and the noose is one aspect of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so how do, how do we... Uh, return to virtue, how do we return to God, but by the people who preceded us and accomplished the mission. And I think one thing is to study the saints, but the other thing is to study the Desert Fathers. You can't go wrong. And I'd also say that our two tools which we can inherit from them are joy and silence. And they're the two things the enemy can't bring to the table. It's always going to be louder, it's always going to be sexier, always going to be cooler. What they won't be is more joyful and more, and they don't have the silence to back it up. Wow, just kind of sound like a Protestant service. <laughs> Good. <laughs> There's something to be learned from our Protestant brethren yes. as well, of course. Oh, we're out of time, gentlemen. I certainly appreciate every, everyone listening and Stephen McCain, your, your input. Yeah. And of course, Father Augustine for your presence here. And we had about five You're wrong, seconds Stephen, left. So God bless <laughs> everyone. Thank you, and come back again next week. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents.